I hope you have your Bibles with you. Uh, take them and turn to Daniel chapter 5. Uh, as I stated earlier, this is the final Sunday of 2020, and many of us, uh, it just couldn't get here uh, fast enough for us. Uh, 2020 has brought confusion, divisions, frustrations, isolation, loneliness, sadness, sorrow, and many forms of pain and disruption to many lives. Uh, not that I would expect any of you to remember uh, if you were here, but uh, one of the first Sundays of January this year, uh, I had the privilege of preaching then also, and we preached uh, and looked at Daniel chapter 2, and we talked about uh, seeing clearly in 2020. Uh, well, I don't think any of us could have ever seen this coming and what this year would bring. A great pandemic that shut down much of our nation and economy for a good portion of the year. How could we have ever seen that as a church that we would not meet in person for worship on Easter Sunday or Mother's Day? Or that we would not have vacation Bible school or be able to go on any mission trips over the summer? That our restaurant dining rooms would be shut and that toilet paper, paper towels, and Clorox wipes would be sold on the black market for five and ten times their normal prices. Uh, we could not have ever seen that in 2020 that there would be no Final Four, that the Masters would be played in November, or that Major League Baseball would have a 60-game season with the DH in the National League. We couldn't have seen any of those things coming. But in that sermon that we looked at at the first of this year, our desire was, and we concluded, that in this new decade, if we are to see clearly, we must have a clear view of the sovereign God of Daniel who reveals all secrets, controls all things, raises up all rulers, gives all wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and brings all things out of darkness into the light. What we saw in chapter 2 of Daniel and what we will see today in chapter 5 this morning highlights the overarching theme of the book of Daniel, which is that God is in control. And or in more theological language, God is sovereign. To some, this theological truth is a massive stumbling block. But I will tell you that to me, it is great comfort and great assurance to anxious, troubled, and disturbed hearts, knowing that God is in control. Yes, much of has been much has been different. It's been hard and disruptive in 2020. But over and over, God has proven His faithfulness. Just to share a little bit, when this pandemic began, your building committee had just selected an architect and a builder uh, for the next expansion project on our campus. You know, we just have great timing uh, in that. But I remember as we met socially distanced and at times virtually, I remember a conference call that we had back in November with the leadership of our finance team and we had with our uh, deacon leadership. And they had just passed our stimulus package, the first one. And churches and 
religious organizations had been included in the PPP government assistance. And there was conversation of what, what's the wise thing for Ivy Creek to do. And there was much prayer and much discussion about that. But after much seeking and much discussion, the decision was made that we would simply trust the Lord to provide. I will tell you that Ivy Creek has been greatly blessed during this year of uncertainty. Before this morning's service, uh, earlier this week, it was reported to me that we were within $55,000 of meeting our annual budget this year, which is right on track with where we typically have run and as the end of the year. And, uh, and that is just absolutely amazing and is a testimony to God's goodness and His blessings and His provisions and His faithfulness and also a testimony to the obedience of this body and how they have been faithful and how you have been faithful to be used by God and to give in tough and uncertain times. Some of you have not had the opportunity to be out and to be on our campus over the past months. But if you were, you would already see that activities begun with the detention pond being put underground with soon that paving will be there and there'll be 40 additional spots that'll be there for that future expansion. We look out and we see the hand of God working even in these times of Him providing, caring for His people. And we give Him praise and glory for that. You may ask this morning, say, Tim, why do you begin by telling us these things? Well, in times of great challenge, hardship and uncertainty and difficulty, we need to be reminded that God is in total and complete control. And we need to acknowledge when we have seen the hand of God moving and working among us, that we can give testimony to others of that, but also that we can give testimony to ourselves. Because as our pastor has often said, the most important sermon that you will ever hear preached is the one that you preach to yourself. So I pray that you give testimony to yourself of God's continued faithfulness and goodness in your life and also that you give testimony that others can hear of His faithfulness and be encouraged and built up and even that some can be drawn to the faith. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Join me as we do. Heavenly Father, we want to pause at this moment and just acknowledge Your good hand of provision, Your graciousness. Father, Your gifts of mercy. Father, how You have worked in this body. Father, it amazes us that during this time that you have added some 40 new members to Ivy Creek during this year when we have virtually not even been able to look one another in the face and get to know even new faces during these days. But Father, you have been so gracious and good to us. We thank you for that. Father, we acknowledge your hand. And Father, we also recognize that there are many in our church family going through hard, hard times. And Father, we desire to stand hand in hand on bended knee coming before Your holy throne interceding 
for our brothers and sisters. Father, I pray that you would hear the prayers of our hearts. And Father, we pray that you would move in mighty and powerful ways, bringing healing, bringing encouragement, peace and comfort. And Father, as a result of that, allow us and give us a great testimony to share of your faithfulness and your goodness. Protect and guard us from pride or from silence of acknowledging your greatness and your goodness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now when we come to Daniel chapter 5, we find that Jerusalem was captured, temples been destroyed and plundered, and the children of Israel, Daniel and his friends, had been taken to Babylon and held captive. But over and over, God proves that He has not forgotten them and that He is the great orchestrator of all things. Before we look at chapter 5, I want us to understand a few things that are a little bit unique and some terminology that's going to be used in this passage. King Nebuchadnezzar that we are familiar with from the earlier chapters of uh, Daniel and that we looked at in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar is referred to as the father of King Belshazzar. But his dad, his biological dad, was uh, Nabonidus. Uh, in ancient Eastern culture, it is not uncommon for prominent patriarchs to be referred to as father uh, and not to be the immediate dad. We see this in Abraham and his descendants. Well, Belshazzar's dad, Nabonidus, was co-regent with him and was more interested in archaeology than he was being the ruler of a great nation and empire, uh, which kind of explains why we will see that in this passage that King Belshazzar gives and is willing to give the third position in the empire to anyone who can read the handwriting on the wall. So at this point, when we come to chapter 5, over somewhere between 20 and 25 years have passed since Daniel, uh, since chapter 4 of Daniel, and since we saw the interpretation of the second dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and it, Daniel now is some 80 years old. He's been in captivity for 70 years. And as chapter 5 begins with the account of a massive feast, Massive party that was hosted by King Belshazzar. We're told that his wives, concubines, that over a thousand lords and their wives were present in the massive banquet hall. There's over 2,000 folks at this massive shindig. The first point that you have there on your outline is that the king is doing his thing. As one pastor put it, uh, describing this massive uh, party of, of debauchery, it said uh, he described it as, it's my party and I'll drink if I want to. And uh, so here, as the libations flowed freely, the king makes a horrible decision and gives the command in verse 2 for the gold and silver vessels to be taken from the temple in Jerusalem by that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar and to be brought to the banquet hall so that the king and all of his guests can drink from them. The guests are given a gold vessel 
They drink from it. They defile the sacred objects. They commit idolatry by worshiping the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. But it is at that time that all the guests, and most importantly, the king, has a sobering experience. It's the second point on your outline there. You know, you have to think of some of those sobering experiences that we have in life. In some ways, this year has been filled with sobering experiences. Many times, we are intoxicated by our wants and our needs and the demands of the immediate and the hustle and bustle of the seasons. We are oblivious to God and anything that He is doing. But then, we have these sobering experiences that jolt us from our stupor. Maybe it's a call from a friend or a loved one that someone dear to you has passed suddenly or tragically. Or is it an unexpected result of a test or scan that throws our lives into a massive tailspin? Or maybe it is us watching as a relationship or multiple relationships close to us deteriorate and dissolve. For some this year, it has been the reality of acknowledging and recognizing how fragile our economy, our livelihoods, and our businesses are as our country and our world have been shuttered and devastated by the effects of COVID-19. These sobering events should jolt us from our self-centered, God-oblivion state where we are intoxicated by our drive, passions, and the desire for just a little bit more. But for the king, King Belshazzar, his sobering event was the handwriting on the wall. Verse 5 tells us of the supernatural act of a man's finger writing on the wall in this massive banquet hall. Verse 6 tells us that the blood drained from the king's face and he became overcome with anxiety and his joints loosened and his knees literally knocked together. He was scared to death. The message could not be read by anyone at the feast. So your next point there is the question that the king had to ask is, who are you going to call? When you need a supernatural message interpreted, who are you going to call? For the king, it was to call the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers to come and interpret the writing on the wall. This should sound very familiar to you. As chapter 3, that is what his father Nebuchadnezzar did after his terrible and troubling dream. But all the king's wise men could not tell him the meaning of the words which caused the king to utterly panic to the point that the lords at the banquet were astonished at the king's fear and lack of control. You would think that the king would have learned by now to call Daniel first, but obviously he was, like some of us, a slow learner. However, the queen mother entered the banquet hall and offers a solution now, since she is referred to as the queen here, it was not to be understood as this is his wife. His wives were already at the banquet. We believe that this to be either his mother or his grandmother. 
And she tells the king to not be anxious and or frightened because there is a man. There is a man in our kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God and his name is Daniel. She tells him that his father, the king, learned that light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in this man. I want us to pause just a second here as we think about this man, that there was a man in their kingdom. I believe that this is a foreshadowing of the Messiah that the king mother is, uh, is commenting about. When we talk about and we understand there was a man in the kingdom who had light, understanding, and wisdom, it reminds us of another woman in the New Testament. John 4.29, the woman at the well, when Jesus had told her all of her life, she goes and gives testimony and says, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I'd ever done. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the shadows and foreshadowing of Jesus Christ our Lord. As we read and study the Old Testament, we should continually have our eyes open looking for Jesus Christ in those pages. Now we're going to pick up reading and we're going to read the remainder of this chapter of chapter 5 beginning with verse 13 and looking at the events as Dan Daniel comes onto the scene and is brought in to this situation and this time that was a feast that has now become very sobering time and a sobering event. Daniel Chapter thir uh, verse 13 of chapter 5. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the Spirit of, of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and the astrologers have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretations, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you, that you can give interpretations and, ex and explain enigmas. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretations, you shall be clothed in purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing of the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory, and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and, the, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with dew of heaven till he knew the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. 
Although you knew all these things and have been lifted yourself up against, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who, know, who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the, finger of the, hand were, the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Many, meaning, tackle, you farson. This is the interpretation of each word. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found warning. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and, Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So Belshazzar calls for Daniel. And when Daniel arrives before the king, the king has regained some of his arrogance and, and his swagger. His knees are not knocking any longer. He says to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah? He belittles Daniel as nothing more than a slave and a prisoner. The king tells Daniel of all the wise men and astrologers who, who have not been able to give an answer to the interpretation of the handwriting on the wall. But if Daniel can give an answer to the king, he'll reward him with the same promise that he made to the others. He'll give him some new clothes, give him some jewelry, and give him a position of power, prestige, and authority. But Daniel says, King, let your gifts be for somebody else. Keep your stuff. I don't want it and I don't need it. You give your rewards to another. But nevertheless, I'll tell you what the message is for the king. So there on your outline, the next point that you have is the message for the king. Daniel gives Belshazzar a little history lesson. He tells him how, about how the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And as a result, the king welded great power and authority. But we can read in chapter 4 how Nebuchadnezzar's heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened by pride. The result of this was that the God, the God of the universe, brought the king low. He made him to live and act like a beast of the field where he ate the grass and in the evening and the night the dew fell on him like any other animal. 
You can read in chapter 4 about Daniel interpreting his second dream. This was the message of judgment on King Nebuchadnezzar. But God gave the king an entire year to repent, but instead, he walked on the roof of his royal palace a year later and said, Is not this the great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? At that very moment, the words Daniel spoke were fulfilled and the king was made like a beast of the field. God's judgment had been prolonged and delayed, but God's judgment was certain. Verse 22, Daniel tells Belshazzar, you knew all of this and you still have not humbled your heart. The next point there on your outline is you knew all of this. Belshazzar had the benefit of knowing the stories of his heritage and the legacy before him. But instead of hearing and learning from those, he lifted up himself against the Lord of heaven by bringing out the golden vessels and using them in a sacrilegious manner. He praised the gods of materials that couldn't see, hear, or know. But the God who holds and held His breath in His hand and owned all of King Belshazzar's ways, He did not praise, honor, or glorify it's the second point there under the message for the king. You have not glorified God. You have followed your father's example. Rather than learning from it, you followed your father's example of pride, arrogance, believing that it was by your hand that you created your kingdom and ruled. King Belshazzar ignored the God of the universe. Then Daniel tells the king that the fingers of the hand of the man that wrote on his wall were the thing, was the finger of God. And God was writing the king's judgment. The third and final message there for the king is you have been judged. So the message for the king was you know all this. You knew better and you had been warned. But you have not glorified God. Instead, you have behaved in gross pride and arrogance and defiled the sacred and worshipped the created. And as a result of your wicked decisions, actions, and sins, you are judged. God's judgment on the king was these three encrypted words that Daniel read for the king. Many, many. Your days have been numbered. Tekel, you have been weighed and found wanting. You farsen. Your kingdom 
has been divided and given to another. The God who gives even kings their breath is the one who numbers every one of our days. Whether you are a king, a president, peasant, or prisoner, God holds your days and life in His hands. How sobering to hear that our days are not only numbered, but that they are also over, finished, and done. But that was the message and the judgment for King Belshazzar. The ultimate message was, your time is up. God is always the one who weighs and evaluates the hearts of every man. The most frightening reality is the thought that when you stand before the mighty God of the universe, you will be found wanting. The wonderful message of the gospel is that through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you will never be found wanting. The final judgment on the king is that his kingdom will be divided. All that he treasured, all that gave him his identity, all that he had worshipped was going to be taken from him and given to his enemy. We're told by ancient historical accounts that while this great feast was going on in this great banquet hall, the king Darius of the Medes was preparing an attack of the city of Babylon. The city was considered impenetrable because of its massive wall and all of the towers and defenses that were there. The city presumed itself to be undefeatable. But the Euphrates River, which provided a constant source of life and nourishment for the city, it ran underneath the city wall. Well, King Darius had figured out that if he could divert the water away from the river and lower the water level, that his men could wade underneath the wall and into the city. So the Mede army snuck in and killed the king. God's message had been sent and fulfilled within 24 hours. So this morning, our sermon in a sentence is this. The handwriting on the wall of our hearts reveals God's grace, mercy, and love for each of us, warning us that we should sober up and repent as we realize that God holds our breath and all our days in His hands and has provided a Savior to redeem and restore us. The handwriting on the wall tells the story of God's righteous judgment of the proud and His merciful call for humble repentance. God uses the events of life and history to call us out of our pride, call us to humble and righteous living. Philippians 2 says, Christ humbled Himself, taking on human form and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
for every one of us, the first step towards humility is looking to the cross. Then we must acknowledge that everything that we have and everything that we need comes from the Lord. Next is us continually asking the Lord to fill us with His Holy Spirit that we could be empowered with the strength to live and continually live in obedience. Finally, we should quickly repent each time we see examples of pride and selfishness in our lives. The greatest demonstration of pride is thinking that you do not need Jesus. When you reject Jesus, you bow your back and stiffen your neck and ignorantly and arrogantly say, I am my own captain. I am my own king. And I don't need anyone or anybody's help. I am just fine the way I am. The truth is that pride, that, that proud people need to be forgiven. And God has provided the way to forgiveness in Christ, who has the ultimate, or that was the ultimate example of light, understanding, and wisdom. It's my prayer this morning for each one of us that light, understanding, and wisdom will characterize the people of Ivy Creek as we go into 2021. God is sovereign. He is in complete control, which should bring comfort during any uncertainty, any difficulty, and any troubling times. Let us be found humbly bowing before God rather than bowing our backs against the Lord in His will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are gracious. You are patient. And we thank You for that. But Father, Your Word is also very clear that You are righteous and You are just. Father, I pray that as Your people, we would look hard at our hearts in our lives, in our actions, and that we would be honest with ourselves and before you, a holy God who knows all things, to confess our pride. To confess those times when we have said by our actions and sometimes with our words even, that we don't need you or anyone else. Father, forgive us for the sins of selfishness and pride. Help us to walk humbly before You as Your people. And Father, I pray for those who have never for the first time humbled themselves before Your cross, acknowledging their need for You. Father, I pray that even today, there would be those that would take that bold and great step 
no better way to start a new year than to begin a new relationship as a new creature in Christ. Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.